Warning, this show may contain adult content, language, and humor and is intended for mature audiences. If that's not you, please stop listening now. Nothing you hear on Sex and Science Hour is intended as medical advice, financial advice, legal advice, therapy, or really anything other than entertainment. Please take everything you hear with a grain of salt. Oh, and if you're hearing us on an affiliate network, the ideas and views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the network you're listening on or of any sponsors or affiliate products you might hear about on the show. Now that all that's out of the way, let's start the show. This is Sex and Science Hour with Brian Sovereign and Dr. Stephanie Murphy. Get your freak on. Welcome to Sex and Science Hour. After a false start, we're here and we're ready to go. <laughs> Brian's headphones weren't plugged in the first time There's we no started snare. doing this show. There's no snare in my headphones. And I was sitting here dancing and singing like an idiot. And, no, and he didn't fantastic. hear the background music that was playing at the same time that I was singing too. So I just must have looked like I was. I guess it's a normal occurrence around here Why, for in me this to house? just. Sort of like are you kidding me? <laughs> dance to unheard music. People are either nude or dancing, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's a wild party here. Yeah, and I hope your Friday night is going similarly well at home, you listeners. Um, yes. <laughs> welcome to our show. It's an hour of talk, a little bit more about sex and science. And uh, that's why we call our show Sex and Science Hour. And at the end, you get a little something extra. But sometimes we talk about stuff that, I mean, I guess isn't totally obviously about either sex or science, but it's just cool. Well, <laughs> so, what isn't science, really? So we're going to start out this show by talking about the octopus who busted itself out of jail. Oh, this is science. <laughs> yeah, now this is, you're right. I think this qualifies as science, but it's mostly just cool. <laughs> so here's the headline from uh, WPTV.com. Octopus sneaks out of aquarium tank, crawls across floor, escapes down pipe, and makes it to the ocean. Wow. That's pretty that's pretty good, huh? Like, like I feel like if it escaped from the aquarium, just let it go. Like don't even try to go back. I mean <laughs> <laughs> that's like some Asada Shakur stuff there that yeah. it pulled. <laughs> I, this is this is like Ocean's eight. <laughs> yeah, seriously. So, and they have a picture of the octopus from, I guess, before it uh, it it got itself out of captivity. And is it's this just like when smirking. it had the actual like striped? Uh, yeah, it's wearing know, a striped yeah. little hat, a little orange jumpsuit. Gotcha. All right. <laughs> so it's a pretty short article, but I'll just read it to you so you can find out what the fuck happened with this. Um, <laughs> National Aquarium of New Zealand. Uh, via CNN news source. That's where it takes place. He's not exactly on the run, but an octopus has escaped from a New Zealand aquarium. Well, shit, if I was in New Zealand, get yeah. out of this police state. Yeah, <laughs> getting off this island. The manager of the National Aquarium of New Zealand says Inky the octopus found a weak spot in his tank and got away. The smart sea animal squeezed out of a small gap at the top of his tank, slithered across the floor of the aquarium, down a seawater runoff pipe to Hawks Bay and on to freedom. Octopus are known to be very intelligent, curious, and like to push boundaries. An all-points bulletin will likely not be put out for the escaped invertebrate. Officers expect, or officials expect, Inky is most likely roaming the seafloor back in its natural habitat. 
Wow. <laughs> yeah. I guess it must have, I was thinking, like, how did it know that to go down that pipe to get to the seawater? But I guess maybe it, it could smell the seawater or something. Well, I, I mean, this is, and this is an interesting thing to bring up with this story, I think, mm-hmm. is that, you know, just a personal taste on my part. Mm-hmm. I actually feel very, uh, I was going to say skittish, but that sounded too much like squiddish. <laughs> uh, you can say skittish. Yeah. <laughs> but I feel, across the yeah, floor. <laughs> I feel odd eating octopus. Yeah, I because, know. I don't like to eat it either. Yeah, because they're incredibly intelligent. I mean, there's a lot of debate in, you know, biological circles as far as, you know, biology circles, I guess you should say, as far as how intelligent they are, but they have every you know every sign that they have both short-term and long-term memory yeah which is they can solve puzzles they can escape like actually you know this escape happened in the aquarium puzzle solve right here (laughs) how the hell do i get out of this fucking prison yeah exactly (laughs) and he totally did it but i mean octopuses are known actually for escaping from people's aquariums in their homes like if there's any little hole through the top of the tank they will crawl through it and they will walk across the floor and they can sort of walk on land too at least some of them can yeah yeah i mean i think you know i me personally and uh, you know i'm not a scientist yet or well yeah anyway i mean like i think that that long-term that ability to have short-term and long-term memory is what actually allows any creature to get to sapience to where they are they can act beyond instinct in fact honestly the only thing i think that keeps octopi or cephalopods or whatever that keeps them from maybe like actually developing perhaps civilization over the or world <laughs> is the fact that their parents die off so quickly so they they never get taught anything so every octopus kind of mm. has to learn all over again mm. you know from the last one so or, or you know within their generation so they never really get a chance to keep building on to each other but there's a chance that the, you know they could be as smart as humans i, I mean it and in fact, their nervous system, I mean, it's not just in the brain. I mean, like there's, it's, it's all over their body. So it's very tough to gauge just how smart these damn things are. But when they do stuff like this, I mean, <laughs> it really yeah. makes you wonder, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, just a fun little story there. We've got another one that isn't so fun, but I thought it was interesting and just telling. Now, just for self-awareness here. Brian, you and I live out in the woods, and we love it. Yes. Um, And it's by choice. We choose to live in a rural area because we like it better, and also because the cost of living is, frankly, way cheaper than than cities. Oh, yeah. I've lived in New York City. No thanks. Yeah. And I mean, there are things some people really like about the culture of cities and just how easy it is to get to stuff and not needing a car and yada yada. But then there's things not to like, like just that it's so crowded and you don't have a lot of space and human beings are animals and we need space, right? Like every other animal. Like when you put humans in close proximity, they may start to fight more and whatever. So... Yeah, I mean, space is one thing that's really at a premium in any city. And I saw this article about Boston, which is probably the closest big city to where we live. Um, Big city, yeah. Yeah, because there is a city in New Hampshire where we live, which is Manchester, New Hampshire. But that's, I feel like that doesn't really count. (laughs) Because Manchester, (laughs) New Hampshire is like kind of a joke compared to like Boston or New York. Well, what does it have? 20, 40 thousand? I think more than that. I think Manchester probably has. Oh, is it like 60? 80? Are you joking? No. Oh, I don't know the population oh, okay. of Manchester, right, New Hampshire. Right. No, I didn't know. I'll look it up. Actually, no, because now I'm curious. But I mean, New York City has millions of people. Yeah. Right? Yeah. How many pe- How many millions of people live in New York City? Oh, I don't know off the top of my head. I mean, it's got to be a couple million. Yeah, for at least a couple million. I mean, yeah. there's like 350 million people in the U.S. about. Right. So, okay. New- Manchester, New Hampshire has... 
um, oh, 110,000 people. That's the population. Really? Of, yeah. Of Manchester. That's amazing because it doesn't seem that big a city. Anyway, we're not here to talk about Manchester, but. Right. Well, just to put it in context, there are about 1.3 million people who live in New Hampshire. Right. And there's more than that in just New York City. So yes. <laughs> in the whole state of New Hampshire. So we do live in a rural area, I would say. <laughs> but I saw this I saw this article about Boston, which is the closest major city to like where we live. And it says you need 50 you need to make 50 bucks an hour to be afford an apartment in Boston. Now, people say this this sounds crazy, right? And and who makes 50 bucks an hour? Like almost no one, right? Like most right. so many people make, you know, minimum wage. So, from myfoxboston.com, if you want to rent an apartment in Boston, you'll need a six-figure salary. According to the Boston Globe, a mid-range apartment in Boston is going to cost you nearly $2,500 a month in rent, meaning you'd have to make $100,000 a year. Someone making less than $25 an hour could afford the median rent in only a handful of communities in the state, while the actual median hourly wage for renters is just $18 an hour in Boston. In the Bay State, one in four renters spend at least 50% of their household income on rent. So now I think there's probably an agenda behind this that's skewing like, oh, you would have to make $100,000 to comfortably afford this. But it's not really that much of a stretch. And it's certainly true that like the wages in cities for a lot of the jobs like really are not commensurate with with the rent. Like it's very easy to live in a city and struggle to afford the rent on your apartment. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like I lived in New York City for a while. Universal experience in cities, I think, for young people. Yeah. Which you know, actually, for people who just don't make a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I I was going to say. No, no. I I think I think New York. I mean, it might be around nine million by now. Probably. You know, I think I was thinking quite a bit back. Nine million. The population of New York City. New York City. But now here's the thing: is that like a McDonald's worker in New York City does not make minimum wage. They Mm -hmm. don't make anything close to Mm -hmm. minimum wage. I mean, so. So to some degree, there is a higher, you know, kind of starting point, even at, even at a fast food job to where, you know, at a fast food job, you could be making 15 an hour. Um, you know, so, or yeah, like you're that. making more than someone in the in a country bumblefuck McDonald's would make. Exactly. But, but, you're, but everything's more expensive. Yeah. By comparison, though, I mean, it's just it's a difference of degrees. Like, uh, you know, because the city is more expensive to live in, like you're saying, you're really not making any more than the the McDonald's worker in West Bumblefuck, right? Right, yeah. And it's not going to let you I mean, if you're spending like an average of 2 to 3,000 dollars a month on rent in a city, and we're not even talking about like San Francisco, which is one of the worst cities for like housing mm-hmm. crisis. It's if people can't afford to rent or or housing costs. I mean, if you're spending 2 to 3,000 uh, dollars a month on rent, you're spending Let's see, twenty four to thirty six thousand dollars a year on rent, right? Just on rent, and twenty four to thirty six thousand dollars a year is is about probably what you would make gross if you're just making working like kind of a retail job or a minimum wage type job. Yeah, I mean, but the challenge there is that those kinds of jobs that could even afford to pay that don't generally don't exist outside of the cities. Mm -hmm. So like there's this crazy kind of catch 22, I think that goes on. Yeah. Uh, you know, in in a very real sense. I mean, but you know, I've, I've read, uh, uh, reports that like millennials, I hate using that word, Mm -hmm. but, um, cause you and I are both millennials really. Technically. Yeah. We're older millennials. Right. Cause there's two. Yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) but they're leaving the cities in droves probably for this very reason Mm -hmm. is, I mean, if you're you know, like, if you read a, a site like Gothamist, 
Gothamist.com, which is all about New York City and everything. I mean, they have stories all the time. Granted, they have a very, uh, you know, I guess you could say left-leaning bias, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, but they have stories all the time about, like, in Brooklyn. I mean, like, that nobody, literally nobody in the city, you know, except for, you know, the highest percentile, could possibly afford to even live in Brooklyn. I mean, like, it's just... So how do people do it? Like, how do they manage? Do they just live, like, a lot of pe- Do they kind of squeeze a lot of people into one apartment? Yeah, do generally. sublet? Yeah, I mean, I guess that's how you would do it. Yeah, I mean, most people are just living with, you know, a bunch of other people, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, even honestly, that's happening outside of cities. You, you know? Yeah, it's true. I mean, it is a way to save on your living costs. But then again, then you have the problem of not having a lot of space. And mm-hmm. I think the reason people want to live in cities is, well, one, because they want to feel like they're where the action is happening. Right. Two, they want to be where the jobs are, obviously. And there's lots more jobs in cities. And three, you know, maybe if they maybe if you are some like a millennial, for example, who grew up in a rural area, mm-hmm. you're like, there's got to be more to life than this. I want to leave my hometown and explore the world beyond. Yeah, <laughs> especially if you're gay or something like that. You know, you can get more acceptance and you can live more easily in a city and be able to find more experiences than you would be in your in your rural hometown. Perhaps. Right. But then. I don't know. The The cost is so high that you have to pay to just be the price of admission. It's almost like a price of admission to live in a city is paying these exorbitant rents. Well, and to some people, it's just not worth it. And to us, it's not worth it. <laughs> oh, definitely not. Definitely not. Now, I, I have one point I want to bring up, but I want to ask you first. I mean, like, you know, what 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 do you think exactly? What's the cause? Like, like, why? Why is this? I mean, and, and it's easy to say regulations, you know, and BS government actions and all that. But mm-hmm. like, I mean, you know, is, is it just that or, or what do you think? Well, I don't know. I think any simple answer to that question would be too simple and not really an answer. Fair. But so there's probably a lot of factors that contribute. But one that comes to mind off the top of my head is, is, yeah, taxes and regulations. There's Mm -hmm. tons of uh, tons of those in cities. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Some cities even have like a city income tax, like Chicago and does New York. I don't know if they do, but they certainly have lots of like fees that you have to pay just to just to live there or work there. Or even like in New York. I mean, you get taxed on airspace. Like literally, like like you get taxed, you? you get taxed like up, like your building oh going up, even if it's not built up, you get taxed based upon you know some of that space. Wow, just it's, to drive in there, if you're going in by car, you have to pay these huge tolls just oh, to sure. like go into the city. So yeah, I mean taxes and regulations play into it. Also, just that the space is at a premium, and so yep. naturally prices are going to rise. I mean that's nothing to do with government necessarily. It's just that. When there's a lot of people who all want to live in a primo space, you have to you have to distribute it somehow. And price is the mechanism for doing that fairly. Well, some people might not say fairly, but, (laughs) but, you know, in in sort of a logical way, you know, if 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 the best primo space in Boston or in New York was just totally cheap to live in, like everybody would be there and they'd all be on top of each other. So you have to like restrict access somehow. Well, I, and I'm glad you raised that point because I think this is something that can get missed by some. And that is, is that even if let's say there was some kind of, you know, world where there weren't a government. So I know, can you imagine that? Mm. Uh, I think this would still largely be true. Mm. Like, I mean, maybe not, maybe not the crazy prices and maybe there'd be some other, you know, advancements and differences that, 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 you know, with regulations being out of the way would exist, but I still think that this would largely be so. Um, and, and that's, that's something interesting to consider. The other point that the, the final point I wanted to bring up is that now there are parts of cities where rent is incredibly cheap, incredibly cheap, but 
you have to be a, let's say a hardy individual to, mm. to be able to. Are you talking about like more dangerous neighborhoods? Yeah. Kind of thing? Yeah. That's a good way of putting it. More dangerous neighborhoods. I mean, where you can live for a song, yeah. but you better not own much and mm-hmm. you know, you better be able to carry yourself. I'm not even saying defend yourself because I'm just saying, be able to carry yourself in, in such a way, uh, you know, that you can live in these places. Now, those places, how do they make money? It's because they're generally some kind of front or something else, you know, and, and there's <laughs> like, they're, they're getting subsidized through, shall we say other markets. Uh-huh. And, and that's what, I mean, that, that is what it is, you know, uh, and they just, they like to have, they like to have their, their forms look good by having a bunch of tenants in the place. Okay. But, but that's there, but, just understand that there's, you know, a certain type of people and I'm not talking race or class or anything like that. I'm just talking, there's a certain type of people there, you know, that, that you've got to be able to, you know, know how to, how to not deal with and, and move along. So yeah, that's interesting. I mean, that's very interesting that that's, that's what's going on. Yeah. Or I guess if you want to work in a city, but you don't want to live in the city, then you have to deal with commuting. Oh, public transportation. Oh, that can be really tough. Yeah, I'd I'd rather deal with the drug lords. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'd rather live in the woods. (laughs) Yeah. Well, right. Yeah. 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 At the end of the day, I think the good news in all this is like now it's it's it is kind of possible to, uh, to do sort of geo arbitrage. And what I mean by that is like if you have a job where you can do your work on the internet, if you sell digital products, or for example, like like I do, which is I do voiceover. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I have to have a good recording space, but it's kind of, it doesn't, actually, it's better not to be in a city because I need to be somewhere quiet. Right. So, you know, if 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 you can do most of your work on the internet, then you don't have to live where your job is. So you can take yourself anywhere around the world where the cost of living, like housing and food and everything else is cheaper. And then you can still make American wages by living somewhere where you're not paying American prices to live. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Or you can make city wages and live at a rural cost of living. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't want to go too much further in this, but I am kind of curious. I know, you know, in other cities around the world, uh, you know, by by American prices, things are incredibly cheap. But then I still think people are making such low wages that still kind of evens out to where, yeah, it sounds cheap to live there, but it only sounds that if you're used to, again, you know, the American dollar, shall we say, and that's value. Uh, so... Yeah, interesting yeah, subject. Yeah, that's another whole complicated issue. I yeah. Mean, I was I kind of wanted to just do some short articles today. So um, next we actually have a science one. Do you let's do it. Yeah, let's that? break into it. Okay, cool. So um, we will do that. Coming up here on Sex and Science Hour, there's more to come. Now, on Sex and Science Hour, we like to cross-promote our shit. Yeah. And um, we're good at that because we, we all do, or we both do, a lot of different projects. Um, multi-potentials? Is that what they call them? Multi-potentialites. Yeah, people who there have more than one true calling. And I think that's true about us. But uh, anyway, if you like Sex and Science Hour, I think it's pretty much a safe bet that you're going to like Brian's podcast, which is uh, Sovereign Tech. And not only do you do a free show every week, it's two hours of tech talk about liberty and science and technology and how it can set you free. But um, also you do subscriber only content that has things like your your top eight movies and books and like your top eight. What was oh, it? Oh, yeah. Comic books. People go nuts for those episodes and you can only get them on Patreon, though. But if you go to SovereignTech.com, you can get all hooked up right there. It takes you right to the Patreon page. S-O-V-R-Y-N-Tech.com. This is Sex and Science Hour. This is amazing. Russian scientist injects himself with 3.5 million-year-old bacteria, reckons he might live forever now. 
<laughs> I was thinking it's like the new Rasputin. Because remember Rasp- Rasputin? Ra, ra, Rasputin? Yes. Great song. <laughs> <laughs> Disco. <laughs> but um, Rasputin was like a Russian. He wasn't royalty, but he was like friends with the royalty, like the czar. Yeah, he was a... Uh, a- and it was alleged that he may have been involved with the, the czar's wife or whatever oh there's so many stories about this guy yeah yeah he was kind of a a consort well i don't know if consort's the right word but a council the ladies loved rasputin yeah and pretty soon he became a liability to some of the royalty so they tried to off him but they couldn't kill him they were serving him this poison cake and (laughs) he he just kept eating it and um he wouldn't die and then they tried to shoot him and he still wouldn't die and then they wrapped him up in a rug and threw him in the river after he'd been shot river. an icy river and it's reported that he still lived like, <laughs> <laughs> for like i don't know some some number of minutes after that so yeah. this guy was very hard to kill so you know maybe he had access to this bacteria that was up in russia like this scientist has now rediscovered so this is from vice it says why would anyone want to live that long imagine for a start all the debt you'd accrue well that's no reason to want to die. I mean, <laughs> Come on. It's all the more time <laughs> yeah. to be able to pay it. You'll find a way to solve debt. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a Russian scientist, and it's not very hard to caveat that job description with the word mad, by the way. Mad Russian scientist being a phrase that glides from the tongue. A Russian scientist has claimed that injecting himself with 3.5 million year old bacteria found in the Siberian permafrost has made him flu proof for two years and may hold within it the key to immortality. Whoa, yeah. what the hell's in this? I don't know. We'll find out in just a minute here because there's more to this article here. Russian scientist Anatoly Brukov, head of the geocryology department at Moscow State University, told RT that he had more energy and a stronger immune system since he started injecting himself with the Bacillus F bacteria after successful experiments on mice and fruit flies. Oh, that makes sense. You know, try it out on a couple of mice and then uh, put it in your own and start mainlining it. Oh, sure. You know? That's comparable. Yeah. <laughs> I started to work longer. He said, I've never had a flu for the last two years, but I still need the experiments. We have to work out how this bacteria prevents aging. I think it's the way this science should develop. What is keeping that mechanism alive and how can we use it for our own benefit? So he's just not wasting any time. He's going straight for the mainlining the bacteria uh, how old is did they say how old he was no it did not say how old he was because i mean you know i'm reminded of a lot of people when they get into say their late 50s or they get into their 60s suddenly they start going to church again and so <laughs> i gotta think that you know that maybe this is this guy's is like you know what i got nothing to lose <laughs> let's start injecting myself with something millions of years old he's going to the church of the siberian bugs yeah <laughs> Yeah, that's funny. It actually reminded me of, um, I think we've talked about this on the show before, but the discovery of H. pylori, Helicobacter pylori, which is the bacteria that causes ulcers. Nah. Um, the scientists who discovered that, it's an amazing story. Like, for, at first, nobody believed him. They thought that ulcers were caused by stress and that okay. it was not a bacterial cause. And this guy was saying, no, they're caused by a bacteria. Here's the evidence. And he was like shouting it from the rooftop, p- presenting it at all these medical conferences. Nobody fucking believed him. Everybody thought, oh, no, th- we've always done it this way. Nah. S- st- ulcers are caused by stress. Everybody knows that. It's not a bacteria. So to prove it, he grew this bacteria H. pylori in a flask, drank it, and got an ulcer. 
and then cured his ulcer by taking antibiotics. <laughs> and then they believed him. But he had to drink the fucking bacteria. Sometimes it's what, that's what it takes. respect around here. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes that is what it takes, I suppose. So this guy thinks he's, he, this guy fancies himself similar to uh, Rasputin and the H. pylori dude and who knows who else. <laughs> I, You know, I mean, this is tough. Like, because in one sense, of course, I want people to have the freedom to put whatever the fuck they want to in their bodies. Yeah, yeah. Why then not? at the other, it's like, you know, what happens if you create the next plague, you know, that yeah. by, by doing yeah. this, you know, and somehow. That's always a concern. Right. Because what if it mutates to where suddenly this thing that maybe didn't affect humans previously yep. now just, you know, ends up wiping out wide swaths of the population? Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, <laughs> like, I, I appreciate this. And on the other hand, I just, I feel very. I mean, I guess they tested on mice first, right? And they, they would maybe they would have mice seen something. Mice and fruit flies, but as we all know, mice and fruit flies are not human beings. Well, right, yeah. <sighs> yeah, no, that's a good point about it mixing with other bacteria because we have tons of bacteria in our bodies like that right. may not have existed three and a half million years ago. Who knows what this one could do? <laughs> yeah, well, right. Like, I mean, there's tons of diseases out there that wipe out other, you know, populations of species, but they don't affect humans. Mm-hmm. You know, but then what happens is that some of them, supposedly anyway, you know, do mutate. You're talking then, about like influenza. Sure. It starts in birds and, and then it can move to humans. Right, right. And then, you know, it, yeah, it can mutate, morph, whatever, you know, to where it starts affecting humans. And it's like, oh, shit. Uh, so I, it could be the next bird flu. I mean, now it's unlikely that, that it's going to be the next bird flu. I, I mean, mm. I think that's sort of scaremongering to a certain extent and we're guilty of it, too. But I don't like I don't think I at the same time, I don't think I would be jumping at the chance to mainline like some new bacteria that got found in the Siberian permafrost, like yeah. after just testing it for like a couple years on mice. <laughs> yeah. That's I, not the first thing I would do with it. But that is fascinating. And it I is can't fascinating. imagine what the hell is causing him to, you know, get this really positive response. Of course, it sounds kind of anecdotal, but <laughs> anyway. It it would be anecdotal because it's an N of one, right? It's like unless his coworkers have started injecting it too. But but, but let me read a little more. There's okay. more to it. So Bacillus F was one of the three extremely ancient bacterial strains discovered at a permafrost site known as Mammoth Mounter in the Saka Republic in 2009. Since its discovery, scientists such as Professor Sergei Petrov of the Tiumen Scientific Center have conducted various experiments on animals, finding that the bacteria increased longevity and fertility of mice. Mice grannies not only began to dance, but also produced offspring, he told the Siberian Times, amazingly. Increased fertility or libido? I don't know. It made mice grannies dance and produce offspring. I I don't know if something got lost in the translation there, but um, it sounds like what it sounds exactly what he's saying. I mean, if it enhances libido, I then you would be ready. I I might be ready to mainline this. Mm. All right. Well, you go first. Okay. <laughs> and had become and had begun similar experiments on human blood cells, but for now, Brukov is the first to go f- off full pissed and just straight up inject himself with millennia old bacteria <laughs> for the goofs of it. I would say there exist in the world immortal bacteria, immortal beings. They cannot die. To be more precise, they can protect themselves. He told RT. Our cells are unable to protect themselves from danger, but these bacteria cells are able to protect themselves. So I, I get what he's saying. You know, like, what is it about this bacteria that makes it live, live so long? Right. And and could we harness that for our potentially, you know, our own benefit? Um, so, I mean, it doesn't sound as stupid when he's talking about it. It doesn't sound as reckless sure, when, sure. when he actually explains his rationale a little bit more. 
getting extreme supervillain or origin story vibes from Brukov here, says the author of the article. (laughs) Both he and his fellow scientists can't actually figure out the mechanism that is protecting cells from damage. He basically found some dirt in the frost and injected it into his body, and now he is powerful. Bullets will not stop him soon. Fire will not burn him. Anatoly Brukov, roaring and humongous, throws a skyscraper at the moon. If we want to live in peace, we need to start injecting a strong heroic man with similar doses of Bacillus F now just to counteract the inevitable Brukov threat. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> oh, my uh, God. But, you know, it just goes to show the the naivete of the of the writer, because, I mean, frankly, the supervillains are actually the heroes of every story. So Right. But, and but they, get bu- they get bitten by radioactive spiders, not inject themselves purposely with bacteria. Right. So, you know, I kind of want to want to want to shoot at a segue here. Yes. Uh, because, you know, I, I think it's important to note that even today in the year 2017, Humans still don't understand humans very well at all. Yeah, I agree and, with that. And this this <laughs> I could wholeheartedly be, agree. <laughs> right. And this could be proven, and you might not be ready for this. This could be proven in the fact that I think just in the past like year or anyway, or the story just came out this week, that suddenly we find out the human body has a has a, an organ that we didn't identify before. Like, That's right. Yes, we do. Yes, we got that article um into our show prep today yeah. actually yeah well i i think it's interesting just to bring up uh you know that wow <laughs> i mean just when you think oh yeah we got this all licked we got this figured out we're well past gray's anatomy you know volume 18 or whatever and uh but damn you know so then yeah so what you're talking about is the new organ is the mesentery which was known before but not really considered to do anything very important, like it's not really an organ that does some function. Um, The mesentery is like a piece of tissue that connects, that holds the gut in place. And to understand why that is, you have to kind of understand embryology and embryonic development. And what happens is when you have a um, a fertilized zygote that's going to turn into a baby eventually. Mm-hmm. What what happens first is it turns into a ball of cells, then it flattens out into a disc, and then the disc develops three layers. And the first layer beca- like forms a tube and becomes the gut, all the way from the mouth to the anus. The second layer becomes the... Um, like muscles and connective tissue and bones and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. The third layer becomes the skin, the eyes, the brain, and the nerves. And so that, once that tube starts developing, it gets longer and longer and it twists and turns around itself until you end up with a fetus that has intestines kind of packed inside of it. But they all started from this original point. And so there's this, there's this layer of tissue that kind of holds the gut, the tube of the gut, back against inside the abdomen, yeah. and it runs along the whole length of the gut. So that's what the mesentery is. And now people just thought before that, okay, it's this annoying piece of fabric, basically, that's kind of like a remnant. It doesn't really do anything. But now they're recognizing that it's actually an organ. It's part of the digestive system. And it has actually like lymph nodes in it. It may have some functions that nobody really knew about before. And that's kind of uh, interesting. Well, it's amazing. I mean, to think that how did they miss? I mean, with with the amount of cadavers, the amount of, you know. Oh, it's it wasn't like. I mean, they saw it, obviously, but 
that they didn't recognize what it did. It's just it seems. Yeah, odd. I think I think that's actually very interesting. And it kind of speaks to like trends in medicine. You mm-hmm. know, uh, everybody thinks of science as like it's completely unbiased and it couldn't make any mistakes. And it's science. And yes, it's true. Science is a great way of finding the truth. It's a great way. It's a great method of um what's that word? Uh, Epistemology. Mm -hmm. How do you know what's true, basically? But it does have biases in it sometimes. And there's that that's the whole thing with like critical theory is like you're critical of the biases of the researchers themselves and how that affects the research. Critical theory. Yeah. Oh, did I just say that? Am I a cultural Marxist now? (laughs) Um, (laughs) But no, it's true. It's always worth looking at who the observer is and how that affects their observations. Case in point, the mesentery. Right. Right. Like and people didn't think the appendix did anything until just pretty recently or they thought it was a vestigial organ that was like kind of a, you know, a vestige of the cecum in other mammals that does something in rodents, but doesn't do anything in humans. And it's just there to get infected and inflamed sometimes. But actually, the appendix has a ton of immune tissue in it. And the role of the gut in the immune system is just starting to get appreciated. Right. And so, yeah, people didn't think it did anything important before because they just didn't know. They were ignorant of of the things that it might do. Same thing with the mesentery. It probably does have some lymph and, and immune tissue in it that is important and it can feel pain and it can feel, you know, it can be affected by different diseases. So considering it an organ, like they knew it existed before, they just didn't consider it an organ. And right. considering it as an organ gives it a little bit more importance and says, hey, pay attention to this thing. It's real and it could be involved in diseases. It could do a whole lot more. Or I mean, health, just, yeah. Yeah, just to speak quick to the bias, you know, more to that point on bias. I mm-hmm. mean, just in the past decade, like how much has been learned, you know, how much they've learned about because they finally gotten rid of that bias to where we don't care about female sexuality. How much they've learned about the clitoris. Oh, how yeah. How much they've learned well, about the clitoris orgasms. was banned from anatomy books. There was right. some Italian anatomist who discovered who who thought he discovered the the clitoris because it wasn't in any of the anatomy books. But then he, when he tried to draw it in in the anatomy books, he quickly found out because he got thrown in jail that you're not allowed to draw it. <laughs> <laughs> That's why it wasn't there. <laughs> punishable to the full extent of the law talking about uh you know female sexuality there you yeah can't, that's we don't want to talk about pleasure the for g-spot women. no i mean that's another doesn't thing exist. come on yeah, <laughs> yeah. well <laughs> yeah, right. yeah so i mean but that but that just goes to the point i mean that obviously there is heavy bias in that and that's why up until recently has there been you know any real research and all these amazing new discoveries you know about female body parts kind of similar to the the, the mesentery right mm-hmm. i keep thinking of dysentery and that's terrible yeah it does kind of sound like that maybe they uh should have called the pr department before they came up with that name yeah so it's just i I thought it was when when that story got sent in actually one of our producers uh mk she sent it in Mm -hmm. as well as cognitive dissident also sent it in yes and and it's just it's so fascinating that really we're still discovering so much you know about the human body and what it does and i think there might be a lot more to learn yet yeah yep for sure Cool. Well, there's a lot to learn about the Bitcoin eating plant robot that hires artists to make its babies. What? <laughs> yeah, that's what I said when I saw this headline. <laughs> um, and speaking of cognitive dissident, cognitive dissident sent us this article about the Bitcoin eating plant robot that hires artists to make its babies. And at that time, when we received that article, I thought, wow, cognitive dissident sends us a lot of articles about robots. 
Mm. Is cognitive dissident a robot? Oh, do you think or think an, it's AI? an AI? Oh shit! <laughs> and I suppose it's still possible. But then my theory was kind of um, thrown for a, a, a curveball when um, today we got some article suggestions from cognitive dissident that were not about robots. Ah, <laughs> so damn it. Uh, that theory is uh, holding well, a little bit less water. Maybe the AI is throwing us days. off the scent. Yeah, maybe. Maybe it's trying to fool us. That's that's his mark of well, a very intelligent AI. Well, some say that's the original mark of an AI is that, you know, the instant there was an AI, right, it would be smart enough to... just passing the Turing test. Well, it would be smart enough to not let you know that, right. it, that it was smart. <laughs> With good reason. Yes. <laughs> really. So this is, from, uh, this is from Cognitive Dissident. This is from Singularity Hub, the Bitcoin-eating plant robot that hires artists to make its babies. This is a thing that exists in the world, says Aaron Frank, the author of this article, a Bitcoin eating plant robot called a plantoid made of self-executing computer code, which owns itself and hires artists to make its babies. If that sounds like crazy future speak, welcome to the weird world of DAOs or distributed autonomous organizations. DAOs, an emerging application of the blockchain, holds the 21st century sounding promise that we'll soon have machine based life forms and personless organizations milling about our world. Plantoid is an attempt at using art to illustrate what I consider to be one of the most innovative and disruptive aspects of the blockchain, the ability to create autonomous entities which are completely independent and self-sufficient, said Primavera de Filippi, the founder of Ochaos. The like, I guess chaos, but it's like okay, okay, o chaos. <laughs> the art collective behind Plantoid and a faculty associate at the Berkman Klein Center at Harvard and researcher at CNRS in Paris. De Filippi is looking at the way DAOs may ena- enable new types of distributed governance models, one that may be useful in managing both both blockchain based organizations and existing legacy ones. What make DA What make DAOs like Plantoid so unique is that they are capable of managing themselves without anyone there to oversee them. Instead of employees conducting transactions and exchange of value that connect the organization to the world, self-executing software on the blockchain automates the binding obligations involved in their transactions. Companies incorporated as DAOs are already grabbing headlines, as demonstrated earlier this year when an employee-less venture fund raised over $160 million for more than 11,000 people in what is to date the largest crowdfunding campaign ever launched. Though a hacking scandal later called that particular project into question, we're likely to see more of these companies, some of which may even have ownership spread across the networks rather than resting in the hands of any people. What Plantoid, and of course, what they're talking about is like Ethereum and smart contracts and distributed autonomous organizations, which is exactly what they described. A company that runs itself through self-executing contracts that are all done by software. Yeah. Doesn't have the need for any humans to be involved in the corporate governance or maybe even any employees. It just carries out its life all by itself. But programmed by very (laughs) But programmed by humans. Yes. By fallible humans. Yes. Yeah. Uh, as we saw with DAO. So what, back to the article here, what Plantoid also demonstrates is just how far our human-made systems can go in mimicking the mechanisms of of the natural world. Though scientists quarrel over what can constitutes a life form, consensus settles around life forms being things that are capable of taking energy from the environment and translating it into growth and reproduction. And that's exactly what Plantoid is designed to do. A plantoid takes energy in the form of the digital currency Bitcoin and uses the funds to self-replicate. It exists as both a sculpture, a plant version of an Android, and as a blockchain smart contract, the self-executing software logic handed down by its creators. 
The sculpture portion of Plantoid exists to accumulate Bitcoin from human admirers, and once it's earned enough, its code is capable of independently hiring artists who will produce a new version of itself. So basically, it's a pretty sculpture. It looks like a flower. Mm -hmm. And people say, oh, that's a pretty flower. I'll send it some Bitcoin. The flower says, send me Bitcoin. Okay. And the people say, oh, you're pretty. I'll send you some Bitcoin. So they send the, the flower Bitcoin. Once it gets enough Bitcoin, it hires an artist to make another one. So it reproduces. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, you know, under under that, those auspices, uh-huh. you know, like kombucha would be a life form. In fact, I've argued that it is, mm-hmm. but, but, you know, like, because, because it's making human, it's um, enticing humans to propagate it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Like, you know, that one SCOBY suddenly turns into millions of, of SCOBY. And- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you're saying it's a, a life form that's like distinct from the bacteria and yeast that make up the SCOBY, the, the symbiotic colony of bacteria and yeast SCOBY. Yeah. And there's this incentive Boom relationship, kombucha. you know, remora to shark. I mean, th- mm-hmm. this is a, th- uh, it's an interesting definition. I, I don't know. I think they're having some fun with, you know, this is great well, marketing I mean, the, for Plantoid. That's why they said that people quibble over the definition of what's actually alive, because viruses, people are like, oh, that's been a debate for a long time. Oh, yeah. Is a virus alive? Well, it can't reproduce without a biological cell, mm-hmm. but it is capable of reproducing a lot of copies of itself. It just needs the cell to do it. So right. is it actually alive? Ask the xenomorphs. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> a lot of people... What about a prion? Is a prion alive? It's just a strand of protein. But once it gets into a host, it can make copies of itself, and it can convert the uh, host prion proteins that the uh, native form to the prion form. So is it alive? It certainly behaves kind of like it's alive. Uh, I don't know. Think of Ponder it for a minute. We'll be, <laughs> there's more coming up here on Sex and Science Hour. If you think a virus is alive, you probably would think a plantoid's alive and send it some Bitcoin. Ooh. Speaking of Bitcoin, I'm on another podcast called Let's Talk Bitcoin. You might enjoy that. Uh, Sex and Science Hour used to be on the Let's Talk Bitcoin network, and that was back when we did season one of our show. Yes. And if you want to hear those old episodes, if you want to travel back in time to 2014, or if you want to travel back in time to uh, 2016, um, which was just a few months ago, you can listen to our playlist of our old uh, episodes of Sex and Science Hour. We have season one, season two, and we're currently on season three of Sex and Science Hour. We're actually about halfway through season three and all of our old shows are available on our website which is sexandsciencehour.com tons of fun now we actually had somebody who went to our website this week and i was going to suggest this but i ran out of time so please bear with me here um (laughs) we do the show kind of like as if we're live we just run through it and we just do the breaks and just fuck editing we just (laughs) a format i think i kind of popularize yeah i think i like that format yeah well you popularized it, but let's. Who thought of it, Brian? Did you think of it? I did. You I certainly did think of made it. it. You made my dream a reality. Mm-hmm. But I kind of feel like, all right, I'll <laughs> give the credit to you. I have no problem with thank that. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. But anyway, so um, I was going to say on our website we have a little bu- uh, donation button on the sidebar of our sh- of our website, right near those playlists of our old shows, season one and two of Sex and Science Hour, and of course season three is all over our website and blog post forum and on SoundCloud. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you go to those playlists, you will see where it says send us a PayPal tip and send us Bitcoin tips. So you can send us Bitcoin if you haven't spent all of it on the plantoid. Right. Um, and you can also send us PayPal, as a listener did this week. 
we got a, a PayPal donation from, well, I don't know if I should, I, I never know if I should give them credit. We got a, pay, we'll say we got a PayPal donation from an anonymous listener and we want to say thank you and I'll send him an email to say thank you. That's all I'll, that's yeah, all yeah. I'll do. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you listener and thank you in advance if you're going to plan on sending us any tips here. Um, there's a little more about the plantoid. Do you want to hear the rest of it? Yeah, we could do it. Okay. So, um, so no one owns a plantoid, yet once it's created, it's free to grow, expand, and seek out its ecological fit in the world. Now, we were just talking in the last segment about whether these things are alive or not, and mm-hmm. then we'll probably talk more about that. But they're saying nobody owns a plantoid, yet once it's created, it's free to grow, expand, and seek out its ecological fit in the world. And just like a real plant, plantoid is dependent on interactions with other parts of the animal kingdom for survival. Just like a flower might attract a bee to pollinate it with its bright colors and physical shape, plantoid depends on a particular aesthetic beauty to draw humans in to donate Bitcoin. Eventually, the plantoid must earn enough money to hire an artist who can make its offspring. And once it does, those who donated Bitcoin contribute a vote on which artist or group of artists may build the next version. Once a plantoid has identified those artists, it then autonomously commissions them to design and build a new version of itself and can manage their payment transactions via the smart contract encoded into it. As more plantoids come into the world, a Darwinian selection also emerges, since plantoids will be competing against amongst each other for Bitcoin. To incentivize the artists creating the varied designs of subsequent plantoids, the creators behind the project have implemented a system in which each donation paid to the plantoid pays a small portion as a royalty fee to each of its ancestors and the artists who created them. This system is described by the artists as a necessary pyramid scheme that benefits the system by mimicking the reproductive drive found in nature. The scheme works so plantoid will pass along the best genes, in quotes, in the form of the most aesthetically pleasing, appealing work of art. Aesthetics that would, that would ada- adapt like nature alongside humans' tastes in art over time. Fucking fascinating. <laughs> That's yeah. really interesting. As blockchain technologies pol- proliferate, The line between the natural world and the technological one will blur, and soon our relationship to technology may become more or less like our relationship to nature. Complexity scientist Samuel Arbisman describes how we'll soon be predicting things like financial irregularities and disruptive computer glitches in the same imperfect way we do the weather. What blockchain provides is the plumbing installation needed for an autonomous infrastructure to function, one that may grow as richly complex and dynamic as the biological world is. As a blockchain, as a quote, blockchain based life form, the plantoid brings the concept of autonomy to a whole new level, says Dave Filippi, the person who created it. And this is just the beginning. Yeah. I, I think that's really interesting. It's, it's interesting. It still feels like a lot of marketing. Like, I, I mean, marketing like, for what? It's an academic who create. Well, I guess it's sort of a company that goes with it. Well, but. you got to get eyes on it. I mean, it, it like I feel like there's anthropomorphizing going on. There. I'm not saying it's not interesting. It is. Well, uh, but so uh, I'll I'll let you finish before I jump in. Yeah, go ahead. Well, Sorry. I'm just saying. You know, I I get it. It's it is interesting, but there there's sort of a. I feel like to define it in any way as a life form, like there isn't a readily like automatically sustainable. I'm trying to think I'm I'm having a hard time thinking of the terms I want to use for this, but there isn't. So like a lot of life on planet earth say, you know, is literally powered by the sun. Okay. Like, I mean that that's, you know, that's the bread and butter. 
And, but the sun does not require, like, this is the thing. Okay. So I get it. So a DAO operates without any human control. Okay. It just does its thing. And maybe it can even evolve a little bit, you know, what, what, you know, in a digital sense, whatever. Okay. But the, there isn't a power source that doesn't have a degree of loss. Like, like, do do you get what I'm saying? And I know, I know people want to say that, well, you could hook up a solar, you know, solar panels to it. Okay. We're not there at that. We're not there yet for, for that to like, even be really feasible, at least on a larger scale to where this could become whatever it's going to become. Um, so I, I feel like there isn't, there, there isn't that power source that doesn't require, a whole lot of other things to keep, you know, you know, tossing the coal into the fire effectively. It's not like the sun where it just does its business and well, it's always there. Well, actually, I don't know if that's true because the the piece of art is different from its sort of it has like a physical representation, the piece of art, mm-hmm. but then it also has like a ethereal representation on the blockchain as it's as it's whatever it's a it's a dao on the blockchain uh-huh. as well as a physical piece of art and i don't see any reason why the physical piece of art needs to take any power it could just have a bitcoin address that's on there somewhere yeah but the physical piece of art is nothing like i mean it, it, or it's the not physical piece of art is actually very important because it's what the well, it's humans poop. Like I, I, I'm not <laughs> saying that the poop? art. I'm not saying the art is shit. I'm saying that <laughs> that to the digital life form, mm-hmm. it's like it's poop. It's the excrement that it drops. You know, I mean that that that's that's out there. Like that's not like if it's just creating art. The art is you know the physical piece of art is not the quote unquote life form, right? That that's able to evolve and all that because it's static. Well, it's more like a skin. I would say it's like mm. it's plumage. It's it's the physical. It's the it's what's on the outside. What people see. And then it's just that its its soul or its insides don't have to exist in the same physical location as the the skin. Mm-hmm. I don't like it, but go. <laughs> Why don't you like it? <laughs> I actually don't mind it. I think this is actually cool. I mean, I I think I could. First of all, I appreciate it because it is an actual concrete application of how smart contracts and DAOs could be used to do an interesting project. Sure. I like that it's art and it's not like government that's being forced on you as a blockchain to manage your life or an ID system or something that you have to adopt. It's mandatory. Right. I like that it's art and it's just kind of a fun project. And I also think that like that if you're going to do art, that's actually a very good way to do art. Sure. Number one, because it selects for the most beautiful art. It's meant to reinforce the most beautiful pieces of art and select in a Darwinian way, in the genetic kind of way, like for the most beautiful aesthetic qualities okay. and make more of those. And then also the point of art is to make you think or one of the points of art. It, it could be to, you know, inspire you to say, oh, that's beautiful or to make you to make you feel the sensation of observing beauty i guess but art also is supposed to make you think and this makes you think is this thing alive nah. oh my god i like i i feel some connection to it i want to send it bitcoins and then they'll make more of them and then they'll be selected for the most beautiful ones and i'm helping participate in that process and what does that make me am i, I, am I kind of like godlike in doing that and like it really <laughs> makes you think you know <laughs> Well, I, I love your imagination. So I love it. <laughs> yeah, I, I love the imagination. I love the sense of wonder. And I mean that. Uh, but, you know, listeners, here, here's a little here's a little hint for you. OK, the future for a very large segment, I think, of humanity is 
it's not going to be there and the future of earth is going to be Google homes and Amazon echoes talking to each other, setting each other off back and forth, back and forth. And look, just because they keep setting each other off by saying somehow saying, you know, uh, okay, Google and, um, you know, Hey Alexa at all times doesn't mean that Google home and Alexa are in any way alive. Okay. They are the vestiges of <laughs> you know, the remains of a very sad society. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so I just, I don't, I, like I said, I, it's cool. I just, yeah, it's cool, but does it really serve a purpose? Right? Like, does it really, what is it actually, what is the actual point of it besides just being art that I'm a little more dubious on. And one of the things they said in that article was like, Oh, it's amazing how well we can, or how closely we can mimic nature or like biological processes. I have always been of of the opinion. And I think this is the, the major thing that holds me back from getting excited about things like Ethereum and smart contracts. I have always been of the opinion that it's actually really, really hard to make smart contracts that account for every potential situation and don't include some technicality or fuck up when you tr- try to translate human judgment and human um, ability to take things on a case by case basis into code. You know what I mean? There's always fuck ups that happen when you try to make those human processes into code. Yeah. Now you're you're raising in, or keep keep going if you have more because yeah, you're raising an interesting subject. Like things like biology, definitely things like philosophy and ethics, it's hard to put into code. Right. But things like biology, it's also hard to put into code. I mean, we can't crack the the code of genetics. We can't I think until humans are able to make babies or embryos that are smarter, better, faster, stronger than regular humans that are created naturally, we will not be able to say that we've beat genetics or we, we've hacked it or we've cracked it, you know, <laughs> we've cracked well, the code. Well, even then, you, you know, know, have you really done it? Who knows what that's going to... Yeah, even then, know. does it have unintended consequences, right, and all that. So, yeah, I just, I just think that this is a theme that comes up all the time on Sex and Science Hour. Humans think they're smarter than nature or genetics, natural laws, whatever you want, natural forces, whatever you want mm-hmm. to call it, evolution. Humans think they're smarter than all that, but we're not. Sure. And something always goes wrong. <laughs> Nearly always something goes wrong. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, this is this is the very nature, I think, of like machine learning, which is sometimes gets confused with AI and all this, but to where maybe maybe you could program effectively self-healing attributes, which is being done. I mean, there's some software at like at hacking competitions and everything that does this very thing. Um, and then it could, I mean, cause part of what part of, depending on, on how you look at it, I mean, one of the theories as to how evolutionary forces like actually uh, mutate and grow and advance is through like, you know, kind of a, an arms race. Okay. Between various, uh, What's the term I'm looking for? But like the Red Queen theory, okay, to where, you know, certain parasites or bacteria, you Mm -hmm. know, negative, that could negatively affect a certain, you know, a a species or a life form, like then the, the, parts of that species that can conti- that can survive through this invasion by say a parasite or you know whatever uh you know that's the one that continues on and and mm-hmm. it creates a stronger and stronger gene set as it you know as it evolves right and so could this happen on a on a like on a DAO that you know has machine learning kind of built into it to where it, you know it can adapt it can self heal um against you know kind of these potentialities that you're talking about occurring mm. 
I mean, maybe, but again, I don't, I, I still don't know that I want yeah, to say it's that hard that's to think alive. of how that could take place. Right. Yeah. And, and how it could really, you know, catch everything. I mean, and mm-hmm. I guess maybe it yeah. doesn't, but it's a hell of a subject. Yeah, it is. And we have to move on because there's two more things I want to talk about. All right. Um, <laughs> one of them is kind of related to what we were talking about before with cities and the cost of living uh-huh. and government and taxes. Illinois eliminates its tampon tax. Washington may follow. Now, people are hearing this and saying, tampon tax? (laughs) What is that? I didn't know I was paying a tampon tax. Holy shit. Um, (laughs) Illinois is getting rid of its so-called tampon tax. This comes from a listener, by the way. Okay. Um, Currently, feminine hygiene products there, as well as in Washington state, are taxed as luxury items. So this is probably under the sales taxes. Where they tax quote luxury items with a with an extra sales tax, um, only in a man's world, yeah. You know where they would say, "Look, that honey, this is a luxury item. That you don't thing really they need have it." To you every month, that is a pleasure and a privilege mm-hmm. for you to do, and we are going to charge you a luxury tax to be able to really enjoy it. I mean, like it's it's so that's so disgusting. Anyway, go but ahead. starting on January first in Illinois, tampons will be placed in the same category as necessities, such as oh. shampoo. Isn't that benevolent of them? How nice for them to grant <laughs> that. Oh, this isn't actually a luxury. Yeah, at all. right. Like they take something away from you and then they give it back to you and they expect you to be so grateful for it, right? Um, this year, New York and Connecticut also passed bills to get rid of the tax. A lawmaker from Tacoma is working the same, working to do the same in Washington. Meanwhile, these women are out there paying extra for their tampons and they're being impoverished. You know, like, <laughs> seriously, you have to work within the system to get rid of the tampon tax. I mean, Jesus Christ. It's just I, like the reason I'm saying that and I'm not explaining it well, but the reason I'm saying that is like, it's crazy that there is a tax on this anyway. And then it also begs the question, why is there any kind of sales tax? <laughs> you know, all right. Isn't that pretty? Um, isn't that pretty bad? Where the government's just skimming off of every transaction that happens, as though they have some kind of right to do that? Oh, it shows the sham of the whole thing, yeah. and particularly when there's entire geographic areas that don't have any of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's yeah, that's problematic. I'll tell you, I, I heard I heard on a great podcast this past week perhaps a solution to this. Mm-hmm. That's weaponized menstrual cups. tell me more about that i i didn't come up with it i (laughs) i could just imagine somehow maybe that you know like try taxing that those tampons but then they're a weapon all right so you you would imagine people flinging bloody tampons at at like government offices or something it happens at the greatest concerts hopefully when everybody's inside (laughs) yeah Yeah, didn't Madonna used to fling her tampons or something? Oh, there's this... there's a band L five, I think their name was. There's a bunch uh, of bands that do yeah, that, that yeah. where they'll they'll you know the lead singer she'll take out her you know <laughs> and toss it right into the crowd, <laughs> blood and all. Wow. Well, that's punk. All right, that's art. Yeah, now, that's, that's art. high art. Damn right. Um. So yeah, I mean, there's not much more to this. It's just that. There are actually a lot of places in the world where they have these these sales taxes on items like that. And then there's a special category for so-called luxury items where some items are exempted from it, like food and so-called necessities. But I mean, that's just what happens when you have the government deciding what's a necessity and what's a luxury, right? Well, I, you know, a great, a great case quick is uh-huh. the tomato. Tomatoes, okay. a vegetable, but it gets they, the government labeled it a fruit. 
Well, technically, it is a fruit. Or, but or wait, people, I'm sorry. People no, no, consider right. it a vegetable. The other way around. I'm yeah, sorry. They yeah. labeled it as a vegetable. They labeled, or yeah, they labeled it. They labeled it for tax and classifications purposes, <laughs> even though scientifically they are dead wrong. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's a fruit. Sorry, I got it backwards. Yeah. Yeah. It's a fruit, but they label it as a vegetable, and a lot of people talk about tomatoes as a vegetable. It's not. You know, this is just government thinking, well, shit, we can call it whatever we want and tax it however we want. I mean, that's that's the hubris, you know, that these people go Man, around with. Man, you know, fruits and vegetables, it's just a social construction. Not really. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's one thing like fruits and vegetables have scientific definitions. Like a vegetable is basically any part of the plant that's not the ovum of the plant. Right. Doesn't have seeds. Yeah. It doesn't have seeds. It's actually, I think vegetables is more like the leaves, stems, mm-hmm. or other parts that are not, not the root, but not the ovum. The ovum is, is a fruit. And that means all fruits have seeds. Right. So that's how you tell a fruit from a vegetable. Now, most fruits are sweet, but not all fruits are sweet. So, for example, avocado is a fruit. It has a big seed in the middle, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't taste sweet. That's what throws people off because every other fruit pretty much is sweet. Well, avocados, cucumbers, squash, tomatoes, those are all fruits because they have seeds. But those are not sweet tasting fruits. I always labeled avocado under awesome. I don't know. Well, that's one way to do it's it, category. you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and finally, before the end of the show, we got a great listener question that I really wanted to get to. So okay. let's have at it. So they they said this is a question. Oh, actually, this is from P. Enos. <laughs> we have. I mean, I'm a listener. Uh, co- cognitive dissident. P. Ennis. Uh-huh. I mean, there, there's Mike Oxhard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what was the other one? Fanny Wanks a lot. Fanny Wanks a lot. Hey, that Fanny. was one of my favorites. How you doing? Hi, Fanny. I know who Fanny is. We know actually. who you are. <laughs> but don't worry, Fanny. Your secret's safe with us. <laughs> we love you, Fanny. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> so anyway, P. Enos writes in. This is a question for both Brian and Dr. Stephanie, since it involves the intersection of medicine and technology. I have a young teen family member who is interested in combining programming and neurology. Our family is geeky, and we have certain medical issues in the family that probably inspire his interest, epilepsy, depression, and anxiety. He suffers from anxiety and Tourette's. Despite this, he is an honors student and with many academic hobbies and a clear vision of where he wants to go in his career, just not how to get there. Recently, he experienced a sports-related head injury that has affected his short-term memory, but not his long-term memory. How it will affect his ability to study remains to be seen. My questions, what advice would you give to my family member in terms of future studies and career? Is there an academic path for someone wanting to study neurology and programming? Should he focus on the programming side or the medical side of his interest? How accommodating are medical schools to an incredibly intelligent person who otherwise might have a learning disability? Please respond on the podcast. The podcast. (laughs) Thank you for your informed insight and advice. P. Enos. Well, thank you for the question, Mr. Enos. Yeah, sorry to hear that happened to that young person. uh, Oh, the TBI. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that is too bad. Um, But it can be overcome. So um, basically, the way I would summarize this question is... There's a young person, he's got an interest in um, developing apps that help people with brain stuff, Mm -hmm. you know, function better, Um, and is also interested, so is interested in medicine and also programming, not sure what he should do for his career and how this traumatic brain injury will potentially affect his ability to follow that career path. Right. Would you say that's accurate summary? Yeah, I think that sounds about right. Okay, so I will just say... 
I went to an MD-PhD program, which was a combined program to become a physician scientist. And the way it was set up was um, you would do some of medical school, and then you would take a break to do your PhD, and then you go back and finish medical school. I did the first part of medical school and the PhD, and uh, then I left. I did not finish medical school, but I learned a lot about the program and stuff. And I wanted to be a, a like a medical research scientist. I wanted to research diseases, find out how they worked, and develop cures. That plan uh, changed <laughs> as I was going through the program. But like I said, I learned a lot. So what I think you should do is focus on the medical side. I think you should study neuroscience, potentially. Um, I mean, you could go to medical school, but I would. I think it's actually easier to just study neuroscience in a graduate program. Um, I actually know somebody who has a traumatic brain injury, and it affects her her learning in various aspects aspects of her academic uh, stuff that she does. Who is a neuroscience grad student at Harvard. So it can be done. If, if you have a traumatic brain injury, it doesn't have to hold you back from doing anything you want to do academically. And especially nowadays, I think academic institutions are becoming more aware of the different ways that people learn. And I mean, they sh that's kind of their, their purpose all along. But they're becoming more aware of stuff like, um, I don't know, t like you said, Tourette's that you have and neuro differences like neurotypical people versus people on the autism spectrum and, and other things like that and people with traumatic brain injuries and how that might affect their learning. So I, I would say it does not have to hold you back, um, you know, unless maybe something changes for for the, the teenager now that he's had this traumatic brain injury and he just becomes really frustrated because he's he is having a hard time remembering or whatever, and maybe his plans will change of what he wants to do with his career. So obviously it depends on where his interests lie and, mm -hmm. if, and whether that changes in the future. But I would say it's not, there's nothing that's, that's keeping you out of a place like Harvard at this point. Sure. Um, so, and the reason I say that I think you should focus on studying neuroscience instead of studying the programming is because what I hear about computer science programs and, and um, graduate level programming stuff is that they become dated very quickly. Nah. Like what you learn in college and grad school, it's kind of obsolete by the time you get out five years later or however much. And also that can be taught to yourself. There's so much opportunity to learn programming and computer science online for free or for paid courses, but just you can do self-taught sorts of courses. And that might be actually better for this person because you know, maybe he'd be able to follow along at his own pace and do it in his own environment and not have to sit in a classroom in like in the conventional setting. So um, I think you should go self-taught on the programming. Um, maybe it would be useful to do that academically. And perhaps there are programs out there that combine neuroscience and computer science. Actually, I'm pretty sure there are. I don't know of any specific ones, but I, I am pretty sure um, that if you just do a quick Google search, you will find graduate programs like that. And especially in 10 years, when he's actually ready to go to grad school, mm -hmm. um, there there will be more programs like that. Or maybe he'll want to do something else at that point. Or maybe he'll have self-taught himself everything he really needs to know. I don't know. Um, but I, I also think you, you don't have to wait until you go to grad school to, like, if you want to go down this career path, that's one thing. But I, I also... I also think you can start right now. Like if you have an idea for an app 
or if he has an idea for an app that could help people with epilepsy or depression or whatever he's interested in, um, start building it now. Take a little course on Udemy or Coursera or whatever about how to make apps and then just bring it to life. You don't necessarily have to have a PhD in neuroscience to make an app that can help people with these neurological um, issues and and neuro, oh gosh, brain issues. (laughs) (laughs) You don't have to have a PhD to make an app that can help someone. So don't feel like you have to wait and go down the whole academic career path to do something meaningful and important to you. Start right now and just see where it goes. Yeah. Um, I I think actually I agree with most of that, really. Um, Like the idea that... In fact, I hadn't really thought about it that, you know, yeah, the official stuff, what you go to class for, have that be the medical stuff, the uh, the tech side, you know, learning programming and all that. Do that on your own. Do do that outside of it, because you can learn programming languages. You can learn all of that far better, probably than any, you know, uh, what stale college, you know, or whatever could, could possibly teach you. Uh, so I think that that's and, and to have that innate passion to want to know in the first place is priceless. That's almost that's almost as important as the education itself, whatever that education ends up shaping up as. Yeah. Um, but what I would start looking into and, and you kind of said to Stephanie that, that you can get into it now. Uh, there are programs, there are independent uh, uh, like research groups and all this that are that are working on this very thing. One of them in particular is uh, is by Brian Johnson. That's B-R-Y-A-N. Um, Brian Johnson of he's the guy that that one of the co-founders of Braintree, which ended up getting bought out by PayPal, Uh uh, Braintree out of Massachusetts here. And he, a great guy, as far as I can tell anyway, but he has what's called the OS fund. Okay. And it's osfund.co. That's the website to check out. Uh, And this is all about trying to just like improve humanity in general. But he also this year or last year in 2016, just in the past few months, he started with a company called Kernel. Uh, and it would, you know, K E R N E L and kernel is all about this combining programming technology, neuroscience, you know, putting it all together in one package, mm. which is exactly what it sounds like this young person wants to get involved in. Mm. And the, with the OS fund, you can pitch your ideas, you know, oh, right to the cool. OS yeah. fund. I mean, and it's all independent. They, they're not, you don't have to be a college kid to do this. You know, uh, you don't have to have whatever degrees. I mean, you can. Just get the pitch to them and, you know, who knows what'll happen. So I think that's a tremendous opportunity. And maybe, you know, through the OS fund by, you know, you end up working perhaps with kernel, uh, which I think is an incredibly exciting project. You know, we, we talked earlier about messing around with, you know, human evolution and everything kernel. The first thing that excited me about it, I talked about on my show, sovereign tech, the first thing excited me about it was that everything that they were developing, uh, Brian Johnson said, we need to make sure that you can disconnect it. Like that it's not something that's permanent and like <laughs> uh-huh. necessarily grafted in. I mean, maybe those are options too, but they want to make sure that the other options exist, that you can turn it off, whatever the hell it is. So that's, that, that's the right direction for me. So kernel and the OS fund, two things I'm very excited about, uh, that I think is a direction to look in. Um, and, and there's no reason to wait, you know, when you've got these apps and yeah. you get everything else rocking head right to those guys, in my opinion. I like your I like your suggestions, Brian. And the final thing I want to add is that I think um, you might encounter when you talk to people about this, you might encounter people who have really strong opinions about what he should do, like whether he should go the academic route and Mm. start now to get into a good college to get into a neuroscience program or biology 
uh, major and then get into a really good grad school and get your PhD in neuroscience and maybe take some computer science courses while you're at it, minor in computer science in college and major in neuroscience. And uh, and then maybe like 10, 15 years later, then you can start building apps and doing stuff. Um and then there might be people who say, well, fuck all that. Just start now and teach yourself in high school. And then, you know, maybe you'll have a company by the time you're 18 instead of uh, spending all this debt on going to college. And now I really think that I wouldn't rule out either of those options. And I'll tell you sure. why. Because one, yes, it's true. Some people are very successful as high school dropouts and self-taught learners, and they do really well that way. You know, everybody likes to cite Bill Gates and Steve Jobs and all these geniuses who never finished high school. But not everybody who drops out of high school is a genius and does well right. like that. In fact, the vast majority are not. <laughs> and so it's not a guarantee of success if you just sort of go your go your own way and go your self-taught route. And also it may lead to, you know, you may not have opportunities that you might have. In college and in academia, it has certain advantages because yes, it takes a long time and it costs a lot of money, but you could make connections. You could get credentials that could allow you to do things like clinical trials yeah. or to work with humans on on studies, on actual clinical studies. So if you want to do that, then you really do need those academic credentials. So that's why I say I, I wouldn't rule out either one. Sure. Um, and, you know, you can always change your mind, too. I'm an example of that. Yeah. If you start going down a path, you know, it's not like it's it's fucked up forever if you make a, a step in a different direction and change your mind every once in a while. So, good luck. Thanks for the question. We'll see you on the other side. There's an after show coming up. You've just heard Sex and Science Hour. Game over. Play again next week. Talk about stuff.sexandsciencehour.com. Right, Brian? Absolutely. Yes. And now what is stuff.sexandsciencehour.com? That's our Amazon affiliate link. And if you go through there and do your normal shopping on Amazon or buy gifts for people or even, hell, buy gifts for us. We don't care. <laughs> yeah. Or buy things for yourself. Um, then we will get a little bit of a cut and it helps us fund our show. And it's also creates content for our after show because we get to talk about what people purchased. We can't see who bought it. We just see what was bought. And then we talk about it. And sometimes we talk shit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we don't talk shit too much because it is people helping support our show. But we, we speculate about like why they bought it. And, you know, we speculate about whether we would use that product and so forth. Well, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm going to give out a little tip here, a little self-serving tip. What okay. you could do, this could be, this is really fancy. Okay. Mm -hmm. You could... Go to wishlist.zog.ninja. Oh. Mm -hmm. You could purchase something to help out this studio and to help out Sovereign Tech and really by default Sex and Science Hour. And at the same time, give Sex and Science Hour a cut through using stuff.sexandsciencehour.com. That know, would be, that would definitely be double points. Yeah. I mean, wow. Would that be something? So <laughs> anyway, a little self promotion there. 
Please continue. So what did people buy on stuff.sexandsciencehour.com this I want to know for uh, sure. I want to know too. Well, first of all, we had something in the beauty department, which we don't often get. I mean, no, our listeners, our listeners be are automatically so beautiful, naturally beautiful. Yeah. That they don't even need anything. But uh, <laughs> we got some Burt's Bees Natural Lip Balm, and it's just the beeswax flavor. It's not any special flavor, and it was a four pack of Burt's Bees uh, Lip Balm. Good time of year totally to get it. Totally useful. In fact, just as we were in our break between our last segment and the after show starting, I applied some Burt's Bees Lip Balm to my lips. Oh, I watched. <laughs> Oh, yes. Mm. You watched licking your lips, uh, crossing your legs underneath the table and s- leaning back in your seat. Wow. <laughs> As she seductively applied the Burt's Bees lip balm to her moist, plump, succulent lips. I can barely see the road from all the heat coming off. Brian sighed and leaned back in his chair. <laughs> uh, sorry, I've been narrating romance all week. <laughs> uh, yeah, romance. You call that romance, boy. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for the Burt's Bees uh, lip balm. That's totally what I would choose. In the books department, we had a book about advanced CPR, first aid, and AED, which is so good to know. Oh, yes. So good to know um, CPR, AED. Definitely get certified. Uh, my An organization that I volunteer with, Free Aid, does um, first aid CPR certifications and training and demonstrations mm-hmm. about how to use. And AED is an automated external defibrillator, which basically means that if someone's heart stops, if let's say you're in a mall or a building or an airport or well, who's in a mall anymore? But you, let's say you're in like a coffee shop or or a, I don't know, wherever you would be out in public and somebody has a heart attack, a cardiac arrest, their heart stops beating and they collapse. And um, you call 911, obviously, you try to call for an ambulance, but it's going to take the ambulance potentially a long time to get there. Mm-hmm. I mean, most ambulances take at least a few minutes to show up. And if someone's heart has stopped and their brain is not receiving oxygen from their heart pumping, um, every minute that go, goes by, their chances of survival decrease by about 10%. Yeah, brain so, damage is going on. I mean, Yeah. Sure. So after about eight to 10 minutes, it's like, it's kind of over if their heart has stopped. So what you want to do is obviously CPR so mm-hmm. that you, you can give them a heartbeat for them when their heart's not working, but also using an AED. When an AED is uh, the defibrillator, which gives them a shock to hopefully get their heart started Blair. again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that scared me. Sorry. <laughs> I thought you were talking to somebody. But uh, yeah. Um, yeah, that's basically what it does. And it walks you through all the steps. It's meant to be used by a layperson. I mean, usually it's EMTs and stuff that are going to be using it. But, you know, you might be able to, they have them on the wall in a lot of public places. Mm-hmm. And if you were to just take it out of the box and try to use it, it would actually step you through the steps to do exactly like what it's supposed to do. It's basically pretty foolproof. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah. So it, but it's of course good to know how to use one and practice. And they have like practice pads and stuff that you can use. And we have that at Free Aid. So if you want to try it, find us at some kind of event or buy a book about C- CPR and AET like our, <laughs> like our listener did. <laughs> um, we had the Atheist Manifesto, the case against Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. Is this Michelle Onfray's book? 
I'm pulling it up right now. Yep, Michel Onfray, oh, your favorite, book. Brian. Yes, one of my favorite <laughs> philosophers alive today. I mean, just fantastic. I think we talked about it. Yeah, we talked about that book maybe last week on the show, so somebody bought it. Yeah, he only has two books in English, The Hedonist Manifesto, which is phenomenal, and The Atheist Manifesto, equally phenomenal. Yeah, Contemporary Nutrition, a textbook about nutrition. Very important. I mean, like, we need to know about nutrition. Um, I can't help but feel like sometimes the textbooks on nutrition take a while to catch up to, like, nutritional science. Oh, yeah. But then again, nutrition is one of those sciences that it's like, it changes a lot. Yeah. (laughs) And it's affected a lot by trends and who the observers are and what their interests are. Um, So that looks pretty cool. It has a cover of a big salad bowl being tossed. The salad is being tossed. <laughs> Somebody got Fox and Socks, the Dr. Seuss book. Okay. That's a Dr. Seuss is, is awesome. Geasel. Yeah, Geasel. In fact, I don't know if I should say this, but yeah. The, Might as well. <laughs> well, you were thinking of the medical school? Yes. Yeah, so the medical school that I went to, Dr. Seuss was a big donor to that medical school. Mm-hmm. And it it actually got renamed to the Geisel School of Medicine. So you which, went. <laughs> I went to Dr. Seuss Medical Dr. School. Zeus's school. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's funny. I think he had some connection to the area as well. Um, Introduction to Criminal Justice. That's another textbook, it looks like. Oh, okay. Yep. Um, Philosophy, The Power of Ideas, also looks like a textbook. Um, sold by Clean Earth Books. Nice. Fulfilled by Amazon. Pre-calculus. Oh, yeah. We've got a student on our hands. Yeah, we've got a student. <laughs> Good luck. Um, yeah. Well, but I mean, buying your textbooks through our link is an awesome thing to do. Thank you very much. May the Schwartz be with you. Puntos de partida. An introduction to Spanish. Okay. Seely's <laughs> Anatomy and Physiology, ninth edition. Yay, anatomy. Hope that one has the clitoris in it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it does. It's 2017. Study Guide for Use with Macroeconomics, another textbook. Hmm. The Animator's Survival Kit, a manual of methods, principles, and formulas for classical computer games, stop motion, and internet animators. Nice. That sounds like a good, interesting book. Yeah. Game designer myself. Like that. All right. Mm-hmm. The Noble Approach, Maurice Noble and the Zen of Animation Design. So another animation mm-hmm. book. The Western Experience, Volume 2, with Primary Source Investigator and Power Web. I guess that's a history book about Western culture. Really? <laughs> I, it looks like it, yeah. Okay. Um, and then Turner in His Time. Who is Turner and what was his time? History and Criticism. Um, spectacular reproductions of Turner's work set in the context of the artist's themes, ventures, and journeys in England and Europe. J.M.W. Turner is one oh. of the most famous, most mysterious artists. His paintings are among the masterpieces of Western art. So it's an art art book. I was thinking maybe it was about Ted Turner and his colorizing classic films, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's much oh better. Oh my God. <laughs> And that book, The Western Experience, that I mentioned, The Western Experience offers a thorough analytical overview of Western civilization, giving students an introduction to the major achievements of Western thought, art, and science, as well as the social, 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 political, and economic context for understanding these developments. All right. I need to read this book because maybe this maybe will be the book. it'll finally tell you what, what it means. Yeah. It'll finally define what the fuck is Western civilization because <laughs> I can't get a straight answer from anybody. Oh, my God. Uh, all right. Yeah. 
I'm kind of curious about that myself. Yeah. <laughs> so in the cell phones and accessories department, we got an Anchor USB-C to USB 3.0 cable for USB-C devices. Handy. Including MacBook, Chromebook, Pixel, Nexus 5X. Um, and actually two of those were purchased. Moto Z unlocked smartphone, five and a half inches, quad HD screen, 64 gigabyte storage, 5.2 millimeters thin. Moto Z. Right. And it was $500. We got 20 bucks for a commission. Nice. That. Thank so you. Yeah, Moto Z is a fine Use phone. your pre-calculus. Do the math. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Solve for X. <laughs> um, now, what about that Moto Z is special? Is it is it just that it's unlocked and it's one of the few unlocked phones you can get? Or Well, there's a lot of unlocked ones, but it's mm-hmm. nice that it is unlocked. Uh, the yeah. Moto Z, I mean, it's, it's sort of the higher end of what Lenovo offers right. in the Motorola line. Uh, so yeah, just a, just a very handy, I mean, it's, it, I think it's pretty much the successor to the Moto X, which was a very popular phone for a couple of generations. Um, so I, yeah, I think that's great. You know, a very nice phone. Mm-hmm. Uh, looks like they got a case to go with it. The O-Motion Moto Z Play case, dual layer, uh, case. Awesome. Black, of course, your favorite color, Brian. There are no other colors. No, there aren't. Everything, it gets swallowed up by the black hole of black. The, yeah, I mean, there's the accents, yeah. right? Like, but, you know, like if, if you're wearing a Starfleet uniform, there's, you know, maybe a little gray or red, but anyway. <laughs> uh, somebody got a pack of 10 replacement tips for the for their stylus pen. These oh, nice. are like the fiber tips for your stylus pen. Um, yeah, it looks pretty good. I mean, I imagine you would need those mm-hmm. if you're wearing out your tip. If you think it's like a real pen and you push really hard, you know... I don't really write very much by hand nowadays, but I remember when I used to write with a pen, I would break pens sometimes because I would be pressing so hard with the tip of the pen. And wow. like with a pencil, when I would grind the, the tip of the pencil down because I'd be pressing so hard, I think it was because I was recently? stressed out. Yeah, yeah I'm a type A. <laughs> oh, that's, that's what happens when you combine <laughs> a stressed out medical student with pens. Um, <laughs> uh, what else? A speaking rugged armor iphone 7 case with resilient shock absorption and carbon fiber design for iphone 7 black of course yeah i better put that on those things aren't very sturdy you know i feel like having a case on my phone has saved it because i drop it regularly i feel like having a case on it has protected it so much and it's probably one of those shock absorb absorption things yeah i oh the case thing you know that's actually a huge subject like that's been an argument for probably 10 years now actually maybe 10 years to the day really um yeah to where do you put a case on it or not Mm. because the amount of money that i mean granted there's the i think at the end of the day it comes down to how much did you spend and are you going to protect that investment yeah but on the flip side the amount of money these companies put into design on releasing a really gorgeous product how it's going to fit in your hand the weight of it all these different things is i mean it's in the millions you Mm -hmm. know if at least um so there's something to be said for not wanting to case it i mean you know and yeah just the design overall you know for not wanting to do that like i have a you know i have a relatively newer phone and it has a leather back to it and uh i got a case for it as well and, but I, I love the, I, I never thought I would have said this, you know, cause it, it, it just sounds a little too, um, kind of a C word to me that like, but it, it just feels so good to hold that leather in your hand, you know, it's the C word. I'm not going to tell you, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, 
but you know, when I, when I put on the case and it's like a plastic or something, I mean, I guess I could get a leather case, but it's really not the same. Like this is a lot of thought went into making this thing yeah. feel good in the hand. Yeah. And so I, I don't, that. yeah, I, I, why should I you have like, to put a case on it anyway? Right. Shouldn't it be durable enough that you, well, it should be, Yeah. but I agree. I mean that like, you know, they're cu- often not. Yeah. yeah. A couple, you know, phones ago that I had because I didn't have a case, you know, the screen was shot on it. So, <laughs> uh, I mean, that's. Yeah, it's it's an age-old argument now. Well, speaking of which, we got the Wismac Rolo, um, Rolo, Rolo, 200 watt silicon protective gel wrap skin case, um, and this is like not a phone case. I thought it was, but it looks like I. What is that a case for? Can you see that? Uh, I can't. I'm gonna get up. Okay. okay. Yeah. Okay. Yep. We need Brian's extra expert opinion over here. Do you see that? It looks what like some kind of it? device. Oh, let me read the description again. Okay. Um, oh, no, no. Up, up. Wisemac Rolo 200 watts of wrap skin case sleeve cover fits watt mod. Okay. Case only, device not included. Yeah. It like must a, be a, or the Rolo must be some kind of device. Yep. Yeah, I don't recognize it, but okay. Yeah. I, nice. I don't I have no idea what it does. Thank you for your patronage. Thank you for your service. Yeah, the, these covers fit any Wismic Rolo perfectly. All buttons and vent holes are kept open and cut to exact fit. Now, okay, when we have time after we finish the show, I'm going to look up the Rolo. Okay. And find out what it is. Um, but thank you for your purchase. Yes. <laughs> we also had the Tautronics Bluetooth Receiver Car Kit Portable Wireless Audio Adapter. 3.5 millimeter stereo output. Nice. So is this the thing you plug it into your phone and then it goes, the sound just goes to your car? Oh, that's nice. I need that. Yeah, one way or the other. Yeah. yeah. But that's or you nice. plug it into your car and the sound goes to your, or your phone sound goes. <laughs> Either way, <laughs> it lets you play music from your phone in your car. It Damn sounds it, like. that's great. Yeah. <laughs> in the computer department, we had Amazon Basics USB powered computer speakers and they're $12. How could you go wrong? These are actually. Are, these are so fucking good, aren't they? You have a pair of these, Brian. Yeah. Yep. They are the same pair. ones that you bought, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And they're nice. Now, they sell these also where it actually comes with an AC cord mm-hmm. instead of uh, instead of USB. But mm-hmm. it's easy enough with the USB to just take one of your phone chargers and just plug it into the wall if you really need to. This is the better way to buy them. Yeah. Uh, and they plug in like a lot of modern TVs actually have a USB port that you could plug it in if you wanted oh, to power it through uh-huh. that. Cool. Uh, th- those are very versatile. They decently loud uh, and powerful speakers. I mean, and cheap. Yeah, like, I thought they like were great bucks speakers for bucks. 12 bucks. I oh, mean, yeah. shit, like get a couple of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I love <laughs> having those around. They're very handy. We got a Microsoft Xbox 360 wireless controller for Windows and X uh and for Windows and Xbox 360 console. Does it say Xbox One S? No, just Xbox. Oh, okay. And the Patriot LX series 16 gigabyte micro SDHC card. Nice. Oh, it was a pack. How many? They came pack? together. Oh, oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, it's a five-pack. Okay. That's pretty good. I mean, that's a good price for a five-pack of those SD cards. Yeah. It was $30. You know, I just want to I I just backstep quick on mm-hmm. one of the items. Oh, the, the Xbox? Xbox controller. Yeah. I ha- do you see it? Uh, I have I don't, it up. I can't see it, but okay. I, I just want to... Crane your head. <laughs> All right. I'll crane my head. Let's see. Right over oh, yeah. here. Okay. So, got it. All right. Now... What's interesting, I think it's a fine buy either way. Uh-huh. Uh, but the they, the Microsoft 
released kind of the, there's this new thing in gaming consoles where you release a mid, a mid upgrade in a generation cycle. In fact, generation cycles might be over for, you know, for consoles and generations are like you had NES versus the Sega master system. You had Genesis versus the super Nintendo. Like those were each generations. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, now, the nice thing is that Microsoft, of course, also powers Windows, which is really the ultimate gaming platform on the planet. And yeah, they made that case. Right. Um, I have tried out so many different controllers for, you know, just working with your PC in general, which obviously this is what the setup is for. And uh, they recently came out with before you had to do this, where you had to buy the controller and you had to buy a, a wireless adapter. Now the Xbox one S the controller that comes with that just works automatically through Bluetooth and it automatically connects, you know, as long as your computer has Bluetooth, you know, you don't need a dongle or anything like that has or whatever. But I, I just have to say it is as a lifelong gamer and as someone who identifies first and foremost as a gamer in his life, um, it is the best controller you know, for what it does for working with windows anyway, like just bar none, nothing. I mean, cause there's camps that have said, Oh no, the PS4 controller is the best. Uh, or no, this is the best, blah, blah, blah. Nope. The, the Xbox one S controller is easily the greatest gaming controller, uh, and most versatile really. Cause it also connects well with Android phones and, and, you know, and other devices, uh, you know, just out there. So good. That's a good buy. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's a great purchase there. So just putting that little review, I mean, even the steam controller, the steam controller just doesn't match what, uh, what the Xbox one S controller can do. So there you go. Right on. Trust this man. Cause he's a, he's a real gamer. I'm serious. <laughs> In the Amazon basics department or the electronics department, we had an Amazon basics HDMI to DVI adapter cable, three feet. Nice. Yep. Five bucks. That's pretty good. Um, in the food department, somebody bought eight pounds of coconut butter and coconut butter is just kind of like, I don't know. It's, it's kind of like coconut oil, I think, but it has a little bit more maybe of the, of the I don't know, the coconut body in it, not just the oil, the uh, the meat of the coconut yeah. mixed with it. Um, yeah, but it's an eight pound bucket made by Kivala. Damn, all right. 44 bucks. I mean, that's not bad for eight pounds of coconut butter. That's good to keep good. around. Yeah, good. it's good to cook with, yep. Um, chosen Foods Avocado Oil Mayo, 24 ounce. Nice. So, Tasty. yeah, that's good because... Most mayonnaise, mayonnaise is a great food if you're eating like a ketogenic diet because it's very high in fat. But mayonnaise is typically made out of what, egg yolks and oil? Mm -hmm. And usually the oil that they use is some shitty oil like soybean oil or canola oil. Right. And you don't want to be eating that shit because those oils get rancid really easily. They can be full of uh, contaminants and pesticides. They're usually extracted not by cold pressing, but with hexane solvents, which is, you know, things that you might not want to be eating in your food. Yeah. And um, so generally not the, the healthiest kinds of oils. But this one, they're using... Um, but, but to make mayo, you have to use like a, like a kind of a vegetable oil that's kind of liquid at room temperature. Mm -hmm. So what is a girl to do? Well, you make it out of avocado oil and avocado oil is, a, is, is a great vegetable oil because it's higher in monounsaturated fat, not polyunsaturated fat. So it doesn't have those omega-6 fatty acids and it doesn't have the high potential to become rancid yeah. over time. And it's, it's more heat stable when you cook with it. So avocado oil is a little bit more like olive oil, where it's like a little bit more stable to heat mm -hmm. um, than some of the other vegetable oils. And it doesn't have all those problems like, you know, you can cold press it and it doesn't have those um, 
the problems, like we said, with canola oil of the of the pesticides and the rancidity and all that. So, um, yeah, uh, this is avocado oil mayonnaise made with cage-free eggs too. Nice. That's a bonus. Um, Your conscience. So yeah, will be between the coconut well. butter and the avocado oil mayo, you'll be all set. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody bought a kit to recondition or replenish a Roomba. 800 and 900 series. It's authentic iRobot parts, and it's sold by iRobot, actually. All right. Yeah. Wow, that's good. Longevity with those things. Yeah. Brian had an interest in iRobot at one point. At one point. (laughs) Well, it's a long story. Yeah, we won't get into that. In the music department, we had Brave Enough. What is Brave Enough? Well, we're about to find out, folks. (laughs) (laughs) Stay tuned. By Lindsey Sterling. The CD from Lindsay oh, Sterling. Oh, oh, God, yes. This album is uh, is great. What's the second track on it? Does it give you a track? Oh, listing? I just closed the tab. Uh, Sorry. Sure. All right, that's know. all right. But I, you I, like the second song on it? Yeah, I, that one in particular, I remember it being great. I, I could pull it up on my phone, but um, yeah, that whole thing is, Lindsay Sterling's phenomenal. She's a Mormon, right? Unfortunately. And she plays the electrified violin. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, pretty much. Cool. I mean, a real success story. I mean, she's she's really something else. So, but unfortunately, she, yeah, she's a Mormon, so she'll probably never take it to the heights of sexiness that she could really deliver. Oh, well. <laughs> oh, well. Um, in the Kindle ebook section, we had Harley Quinn, number one, number two, number three, and number four. These are like uh, comic books. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Harley Quinn is a famous, now famous Batman character. Uh, yeah. And these are from the Comixology merger or whatever mm-hmm. between Kindle and Comixology. We talked about this last week because we had some Harley Quinn um, epics purchased. <laughs> yeah. They're only one ninety nine on Kindle, but I mean, yeah, shit, you can read a whole comic book. Hell yeah. And then we also had in the Kindle department... Um, a book called Shatter Day by Harlan Ellison, oh, which is your favorite oh, <laughs> author. And what a great book. This, I mean, Shatter Day is fantastic in, in what it includes. Um, wow. I could. A five year old boy never ages, living as immortal in a past that. Je, uh, was it Jeff D is five, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Well, I mean, five. you got to understand, like, I, I had the great. One of the greatest pleasures in my life was I actually, in many ways, got to befriend Harlan Ellison. Mm-hmm. And that, that just meant the world to me. Uh, such a huge fan of his work. Um, Shatter Day is one of his most popular anthologies. Mm. Uh, and yeah, starts right up with Jeff D is five. And I mean, it's fantastic. There's so many other great ones to get. Angry Candy is one of my favorites. In fact, the intro to Angry Candy will make you cry. Uh, it, like my, my entire outlook on death really comes from from angry candy uh their troublemakers is another fun one that's really actually troublemakers i read that when i was in high school changed my life and it's meant for high school kids too uh it just wow just phenomenal that's yeah. awesome nobody writes i feel like nobody writes stories to adolescents in high school yeah well i mean kids. like the stories were ones that he already like had written like repent harlequin said the tiktok man mm-hmm. jeffy's five is in it uh, and a few others but he always does these great intros to his stories and the intros were specifically saying look kid pay attention Okay, because these teachers aren't going to care about you. Nobody's going to care about you. You need to pay attention. I mean, it was that's true. They already know that, right? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, but it was so brilliant to see it written down, you know. And 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 of course, it's one of the books where he originally calls himself Uncle Harlan. You know, as an Uncle Harlan, it was just yeah, really phenomenal. So uh, you know, and I just want to say real quick, um, this week's Patreon Q and A episode of Sovereign Tech. You got to be a patron. But I covered how to crack all of the DRM uh, on Amazon. 
uh, for the Kindle books and, oh, and all of that. Oh shit! I was so, just listening to that. <laughs> yeah. So if you want to know how to go about that, I give you the I give you the the skinny on the whole thing. <laughs> the skinny on the DRM. Woo. In the uh, office supplies department, we got HP ink cartridges, black and tricolor, pack of two. I probably need that. Well, actually, do I have an H? No, my printer is Epson, but everybody needs print cartridges. Yes. And it was 35 bucks for genuine HP cartridges. Not too bad. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, in the office supplies department, we also had pen and pencil grips. Now, these are fucking cool. I remember these from school, and it was probably one of the only things that made the day bearable was these things that you could put your pen or pencil through, mm-hmm. and it was like a little rubber grippy that would help you, that would cushion your hand when you're like me and you grip it so hard that your knuckles turn yeah, white and you yeah, push yeah, down yeah. so hard. <laughs> so these are like little, I don't know, they rather resemble little masturbation sleeves, actually. I like I guess if you had a tiny penis that was the size of a pencil or sex organ of some kind. Um Okay. <laughs> you could you could use it in that manner. <laughs> uh so thank you for that. Six bucks for a pack of six. In what department was this? Probably sports and outdoors, I'm guessing. Okay, yeah, outdoors. M Wave aluminum compass for a bicycle bell. Black. So it's 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 a two in one device. It's a compass and a bicycle bell. Nice. So you put it on your bike and you know where you're going and you can ring your bell. And everybody else ding, does. Ding, ding. Yeah, and everybody else does too. <laughs> <laughs> in the okay, this is more food. Why is it not with the other food? Oh well, whatever. Oh, this is a this is an Amazon pantry item. Ah. Somebody got Bob's Red Mill seven grain organic pancake and waffle mix. Four fifteen for a bag of. A uh, little more, like around a pound and a half. Nice. Yeah. I got this low-carb p- pancake mix that was really good. It was made out of what, like almond flour, pl- flax flour or something I don't know like what that. they put in the bag, but it was goddamn delicious. I don't know either, but like, yeah, you put, you whip some coconut milk and like ghee in, up in there and it's really, comes out really good. <laughs> um, the pets department, we had a busy buddy squeak and treat booyah dog toy. Booyah! So this is just like a dog chew, <laughs> but I mean... It looks it looks fun. If I were a doggo, I would think that was top notch. We had the Rough Max portable dog kennel, which is just like a it's like a little cage that you put your dog in. I guess I don't okay. want to call it a cage. It's not really. A, it's like a crate. A crate. That's what they call it. Ah, all right. And the dog, like sometimes dogs really like to go in a crate. It's like their little house, you know. Sure. I mean, sometimes they don't like to be shut in it and carried around or taken in a car or plane or something, but sometimes they really like to sleep in there and stuff. Um, and then we had the Eaton CHSA series whole panel surge arrest breaker to pole by Eaton. All right. And, oh, is that it? Yeah, that's it. Aw. Well, thank you so much for everything you purchased through our Amazon link this week. That was super cool of you. And um, we're very happy with the amount of people that are going to stuff.sexandsciencehour.com. So keep those things coming. And thank you so much for for listening and for joining us. Brian, is there anything else you wanted to add before we wrap up? No, I think that's great. Just uh, please don't hesitate to follow us on Twitter. It's at Sex Science Hour. There's no and, just at Sex Science Hour. And, uh... Brian maintains Twitter and Instagram for us. You put the cover art on Instagram, right? Yeah, I haven't messed with the Instagram much mm-hmm. in a while because... But didn't Adam Carolla like start liking our cover art or something oh no that was mine oh that was yours oh yeah, <laughs> he doesn't he, care about yeah, and, and it is adam carolla yeah. he was loving it he, wow so, yeah which is nice that's cool 
Yeah. Well, yeah. Anyway, so Twitter is the big deal with sex and science. There on, is an yeah. Instagram, and maybe I'll get back to posting on that. There was an issue with Instagram that wouldn't let me. So anyway, right on. What what happened? Were you too sexy for Instagram? Yeah, something like that. No, yeah. <laughs> no, I don't <laughs> That's know. What I'm like going the, with. the app was just being in on a previous phone. The app was acting very strange. And, oh, and you can flip through multiple on. accounts on the phone. That's how you do it. And it just wouldn't. No matter what I posted on it, it wouldn't share it. So I'll try and share Weird. again. Yeah, we'll see. Okay. Now, Brian, do you think I should start up the Sex and Science Hour Facebook group? Oh. It's a toss-up. It really is. I don't know if it's going to be good or bad or what, but... I just... I just... I don't... Facebook just doesn't need one more account. It doesn't need one more page. It doesn't... (laughs) Well, it wouldn't be a page. It would be a community. It would be a group. Well, that's what I'm saying. It doesn't need one more group, really. I I don't know. But I understand the appeal. I think people would love it. So, there you have it. People, People can email in if they really, like... Like, give us, please, give us the market signal. Yeah, I think that'd be fair, sure. Yeah. Okay. All right, well, thanks so much for joining us on Sex and Science Hour this week. We'll be back at you next Friday with another episode. In the meantime, our website is sexandsciencehour.com. Keep those listener emails and stuff at sexandsciencehour.com. Stuff coming in. And have a great week, everybody. We'll see you next time. Woo.